to Franks, Franks dropping back, stepping up, running the ball, looking, looking, he's going to heave one deep down the field, it's going to be to the goal line, it's going to be gone, it's a touchdown, and the Gators have won the game, <laughs> Tyreek Cleveland, oh my, I can't believe what I just saw, the Gators have won the ball game, on a bottom throw by Felipe Franks, and this Andrew Dowdy, Chase Katie here on the High Motor Podcast this week talking college football as we're now about 10 weeks away from hopefully the start of the college football season. I'm excited for today's show. I get excited for every show, but Chase, I love this idea that you proposed. Are you excited for today's show? I'm pretty stoked, yeah. This is, uh, I think, something that's probably going to span multiple episodes, and I'm excited to get into it, so yeah. And we're going to kind of get, it's not really like the ranking of college football teams. Those of you that clicked on this, you probably saw the title or description of this episode. I get really sick of ranking like all-time college football teams, like putting all-time college football teams into tiers. It can be fun because ranking anything in college football is fun, but always weighing that delicate balance of, well, yeah, great, Nebraska was dominant 20 years ago, but what have they done for me lately? How do we actually weigh that? And ultimately, it's a pointless conversation, but the reason I love this uh, idea that you brought up is it seems like a conversation that we really should have about college football because I think that there's a hole in how we approach college football as a whole. Um, and this all started from uh, 24-7 Sports ranking the national championship contenders. I had sent you a screenshot of that, and you said, I have a better idea here, and I want to talk about that in a minute. So essentially what they did is, like what I said, they ranked the title contenders based upon tiers. They have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State in Tier 1, Georgia Tier 2, Oklahoma Tier 3. I mean, they think they have, I don't have a pull-up anymore, but five or six tiers, Florida, LSU, Notre Dame, Penn State in Tier 4. Did a couple more after that. And the reason I wanted to bring this up and lead into what we're going to talk about today, because I always go back to our conversation before last season where a couple of people had plucked Utah from the list of national championships odds as a good value pick. And I'm not even a betting man, but we're both saying together that you're just throwing away your money if you think that Utah is capable of winning the national championship with how many loaded teams are going into last year. The playoff path was there. Absolutely, it was there in the preseason. That almost happened before they just shit the bed versus Oregon. But preseason, middle of the season, going to the Pac-12 championship game, Utah was not winning the national championship. The playoff path was there, but Utah was at, at no point going to win the national championship last year. And last year, LSU was not really in that championship discussion either. In this type of exercise, they might have been like in Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 4 last year. So it's not really the best to say like how many tiers do we really need, but I still want to ask you here, do we really need to go past Tier 1? Again, it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or do you really need Tier 2 with Georgia? Do you need Tier 3 with Oklahoma and where are you comfortable stopping? Like specifically looking at this 24-7 sports rankings because we haven't done our own tiers of title contenders. Are you comfortable saying, I'm good after tier one, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State are going to win it this year, or do you want more tiers? I'm comfortable going past tier one. I just think six is kind of a joke. You know, I, I'm, I think in most things I sort of live in the middle and I'm not prepared to go and say, okay, there's only three teams that are gonna that can possibly win this year. Because there are years where that's true, and there are years like last year where somebody sort of comes out of nowhere and not just wins, but dominates. 
So you never know in advance what kind of year it's going to be. You can have a pretty good guess, and I think we've talked a couple weeks ago. We feel like this year is probably going to be pretty chalky, but you can never know for sure. So I don't want to limit myself to that. just those Tier 1 couple programs. I do feel pretty comfortable saying, like we said last year, if you're if you're you know putting your stock on Utah or something that far down the list to win, you're probably wasting your time. And this is a really bad example of this exercise for this year because you know as you mentioned before, what happens when the entire Clemson offensive line is out because the center test positive? We could see more interesting upsets or more interesting scenarios with forfeits. How do you weigh resumes like that? So this is not the year to really have that conversation, but it seems like you're comfortable going down a tier or two. But do we really want to sit here and say, again, this is a weird season, but in a normal season, let's pretend that there has been an off-season, spring practice, all that. Are we really going to sit here and say that Oklahoma is going to win the national championship game? Because there is 0% of me that believes that that's actually going to happen this year. 0%? I'm not going to say 0%. 0%. I think Georgia is in the low numbers, like 4 to 5%, and those top three occupy the remaining 95 96%. Yeah, I'm at 0 at Oklahoma. No chance. I'm not comfortable saying there's no chance. I I recognize that the gap between the top two or three teams and even just like four, five, or six is significant. But I wouldn't say zero. Let's talk neighborhoods here. So we're not even going to rank the teams. You use the word neighborhood. And before we get into more details on this, what is your vision behind this? What exactly are we putting into these neighborhoods? How are these neighborhoods going to be crafted? Sure. So you said earlier something that I think is, is a good place to start, which is ranking stuff is fun, and that's true. Uh, but, but what we want to do isn't necessarily a ranking. It's 2020, it's the beginning of a new decade, and I haven't seen anybody do this, so correct me if I'm wrong, You know, shoot me a link if you see something on social media, but I haven't seen anybody stop and sort of freeze the landscape and go, okay, going into the 2020 season... After everything that's happened, we're one-fifth of the way through the 21st century. This is where we're at. This is where we live. This is sort of the definitive recording of the landscape going forward into the next few seasons. This is where everybody is. And I thought one of the most effective ways to break it down, both in terms of organization and in terms of us trying to talk about it and, and being able to use some creative language is to describe them as neighborhoods. That this is, you know, not every house in a neighborhood is created equal. Some houses are nicer than others, but you're generally in the same ballpark of what you are and how much you paid for that house or how much your landscape is worth. So this is the way I want to think about it is these programs are in the best neighborhood. These these programs are in neighborhood two. And I think one of the things we want to sort of lay out today is not just what the word neighborhood means for this exercise, but also how many neighborhoods are there? And just a couple of things that we were talking about um, on text when we were setting up this this show. I asked you, so this is something purely predictive, and you said no. But you also said that we're not going to look back at Nebraska's national championship because if you're ranking all-time college football programs, you're factoring in things like that. I don't know how much juice that carries over decade, over decade, over decade, but at some point in ranking all-time college football teams, you're going to talk about when a team has national championship game. If you were to even put Minnesota in there, they won a national championship or maybe even multiple back in the 40s. Yeah, we don't really give a shit, but even if you're ranking them, that still means a little bit in 2020 what they did back eight years ago. 
that doesn't mean shit for this. When a team won a national championship maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that might have put them in a position where they are now. But in terms of the actual accolades, like we're putting no weight in saying this team won a national championship 15 years ago, therefore they're in this tier. If they won the national championship, it might have propelled them forward. If they might have had a winless season or some sort of debacle like Kansas had, that's going to drop them down. Did I nail that, how you were thinking of it? Yeah, I'm much more interested in Notre Dame getting blasted by Alabama in the national championship game eight years ago than I am with their winning the national championship game in 1988. Like one of those things is much more relevant for this than the other. And even that, it's not guaranteed to be relevant. Yeah, they got blasted eight years ago, but where is Notre Dame sitting today? And that game eight years ago might have had impact on that, but where are they sitting today going into the 2020 season? Um, Before we get humming here, I was looking back at a decade ago and I was wondering who was in the first neighborhood. So we're talking about entering the 2010 season after the 2009 season. This should probably be done with more time. It could probably have an entire episode by itself, but looking at that first neighborhood a decade ago, you're looking, it's Florida, it's Texas, it's maybe Alabama. I mean, they had the strong 2009, but before that, they were pretty inconsistent, depending on what you thought of Nick Saban moving forward. It's hard to think about what your mindset was 10 years ago. Maybe Ohio State. Am I missing anybody in there? Florida, Texas, I think Alabama might want to be Ohio State, or would you take any of those four teams out of that first neighborhood? No, I think those are all good. I think I think Alabama, you probably... Not knowing anything after 2009, you probably wouldn't put Alabama in like the A1 tier just because they had won one national championship, even though we we knew Saban was a pretty good coach because of what he had done previously. Uh, but I, I would probably take Alabama out. I, I would wonder, it's hard to go back 10 years in your mind, I would wonder where 2010 Chase would put somebody like USC who had been really good for several years, but that was at that point, several years old, you know, like the 2003, 2004, like that kind of run, you're five or six years removed from that, but it still felt like they were getting the benefit of the doubt in a lot of polls and in a lot of, you know, analysis conversation type of stuff. If podcasts were huge in 2010, a lot of people would still probably be talking about USC. That's an interesting one too, because I always thought, uh, so Pete Carroll left after 2009 for the Seahawks job, and I always thought that Lane Kiffin was a bad hire and it was the wrong hire, but it didn't seem like there were that many people denying what the potential could be of that. So I don't think USC would be in the top. I mean, they're going back, they went 12-1 and one in, in 2008. That was the, what, the seventh straight season with at least 11 wins. So they're just one year removed from, if you're going in 2009, absolutely. USC's in the Tier 1 with Ohio State, with Florida, maybe if you want to put Texas in there. But USC is an interesting one because no matter what you thought of Lane Kiffin, you probably thought the potential uh, was there. Maybe it's a situation, looking back at this again, where Florida is just in a tier by itself. I know that we want to put as many pe- or many teams into these tiers as possible, but maybe just Florida is in a tier by itself. And then we get down to Texas, then we get down to Ohio State, then we get down to Alabama. And then even with the 9-win uh, 2009 season for USC, Lane Kiffin coming in, Maybe USC still is at that bottom end. Uh, maybe they're kind of in like that that two-bedroom rambler that it's okay. You like it in that neighborhood, but maybe you don't really want to move in and, and buy high. Wait until it slides down to neighborhood three and then hop in there. All right, let's start with, with tier one here. Who do you think are the obvious tier one teams? Uh, to be very clear, we're going to do this over a few different episodes. I don't know exactly how it's going to uh, go down here, but we're going to do this over a few different episodes today. 
like Chase said, we're kind of laying the foundation for it and then talking into uh, neighborhood one. Who's in that first neighborhood for you that's obvious? Well, before we even do neighborhood one, how many neighborhoods do you think there are? Like how, how deeply do you think you break it down in your head? Wow, that's a good question. Because, um, I mean, th- there's a lot of different arguments. You could argue, 20? if you wanted to be kind of cynical, that there's only two neighborhoods, and that it's the people that can win the national championship and the people that can't. Uh, but I, I don't want to be that cynical. I think that's a boring way to talk well, about Well, sure, we football. could have that. I mean, yeah, that's a boring way to do it, where it's either you won the game or you lost the game. Well, no shit. I don't like that. But stuff. how did you lose the game? How did you win the game? There are more things. We can't just... Take this huge macro look at college football. We don't even need to get into that. No. Yeah, I don't think that we're cynical enough to say there are two neighborhoods or even three, like the teams that, like the Clemson and Alabamas that can win it and have won it recently, then the second tier people that are, are teams that are capable of winning it, and then everybody else. Because let's be honest, like Kansas and New Mexico State are probably in the same neighborhood, and they have been in the same neighborhood for a long time. But th- that gets into the conversation of, what are you really playing for? And we've talked about this a lot with G5. Yeah, it's fun. Like, we both love watching Cincinnati play Memphis or Boise go out to San Diego State. But what ultimately are you playing for? I just don't want to be the guy that's saying Boise State, San Diego State doesn't matter because they're not playing for a national championship. Ultimately, you and I and a lot of people love college football because it's fun, because there are variables, because there is roster turnover, atmosphere, all that kind of stuff. So I agree with you. I don't want to be so cynical to say there's only two type of neighborhoods or three type of neighborhoods. In my head, I, I don't know, 20, 15 to 20? Is that too many? I'm, maybe. I guess it depends on how specific you want to get with your criteria. I've got six that I've written down. Really? So you've already laid out the neighborhoods. Uh, I, I, I jotted down some notes, and this is kind of where I landed. And if you came back to me a week from now, I might have a totally different answer. But as I'm thinking about it right now, I've got six. And honestly, if we're doing this over a podcast, for those of you listening, we haven't really hashed this out. We're trying to hash it out over air so that you can tweet at us, at High Motorpod, at AWD88, at Chase A. Kitty. Give us your ideas for how many neighborhoods there are. Like I said, today we're probably just going to do the first neighborhood, maybe hop into the second one. How many do you think there are? How many neighborhoods should should there be in college football? And I don't want to get locked into a number here. I don't want to start saying we're going to do six neighborhoods. Off the top of my head, I said 20, but that's going to be hard to do over a podcast. So, yeah, I don't know. Let's just say that it's somewhere between 6 and 20 and then figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it real broad. Who's in that first neighborhood? All right. I think, uh, obviously, you have to start with Alabama and Clemson. I, I think that's easy. I think that's obvious. Uh, I, I have said, I'm on the record saying I think Alabama is sort of trending slightly, slightly down. I think if... I asked most people, if you had to pick one team to have stock in 10 years from now, Alabama or Clemson, I think most people would pick Clemson. Um, Or would you pick a third team? I'd probably pick Clemson. So would I. Uh, So I think those two is where you start. I would put Ohio State in there. I would put Oklahoma in there. I think after that, you can make arguments for other teams, uh, but I think they become harder to prosecute. I'm surprised you put Oklahoma in there. How much of that is the Lincoln Riley factor where you just don't think he's going to the NFL or even if you think he does, they're going to hire somebody and they're going to be consistently in that playoff conversation. If they're making the playoff, you know, nine out of 10 years this decade, odds of them winning a national championship are pretty high when you're making the playoff that many times. 
I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty heavily weighed on the Lincoln Riley factor. I think as long as he's there, they are year in year out a competitive, serious threat to go to the playoff. And if they play right, to win national titles. I know it's really tough saying that because it hasn't happened, and it's always harder to argue that something could happen when there's no evidence for it. But I think when you listen to coaches talk about who the best in their profession is, Lincoln Riley is always at the very top of the list, right near Dabo and right near Saban. I think him and Kirby Smart are interchangeably put at three and four, and then I think it's a big drop-off to the next guys. So I trust him, and I think as long as he's in Norman, that Oklahoma lives in that neighborhood. I would personally probably put Oklahoma a little bit below, and I know that we're not talking that much about the past here, but there still is a little bit of a prove-it factor I think that Alex Grinch will eventually get the defense turned around. Like I said, I think there's zero percent chance that Oklahoma wins the national championship this year, but I think at some point they will have a championship level defense. When you play that much college football, the odds of you coming back to a championship level defense like they've had in the past, it's probably going to happen. But the prove it factor just isn't there for me. That's why I would just put Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. I think that even within that neighborhood, I mean, you talked about different houses in that neighborhood, different houses on the block. Even within that neighborhood, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had because even if you look at like the state of the ACC, let's take Clemson, for example, the state of the ACC, I think that puts Clemson at a bigger advantage than any other team in college football. Dabo complains and threatens to quit all the time, and the Bama job will be open in the next four to five years. I don't think he takes it. But I'm also not convinced that Dabble is going to be Clemson head coach for the next 10 years. But I'm also not convinced that Nick Saban's going to be Alabama head coach for the next 10 years. I'm also not convinced that Ryan Day won't leave for the NFL in the next 10 years. So I don't think any of these three programs will have their same head coach going into 2030 as they do this year. That becomes a conversation that's really hard to project, I think. When you start talking about what what do programs look like how do they survive turnover at the head coaching position? Uh, when you talk about those three programs, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, they have so much wind at their back that they can survive a lot of things happening to them. So it's really hard to project 10 years into the future, I think. But right now, when you look at where they're at, I mean, it's pretty indisputable. Where, like the, It's not even almost a neighborhood with them. Like I, I dated this girl very briefly when I was like 19, named Amanda. She... Her family was so like laughably rich. They didn't even live in a neighborhood. They just had like a two mile driveway off of a road somewhere and they owned like all the land around it. That's what we're talking about with these guys. Like not even in a neighborhood somewhere. So who would you put, who would, who would have, let's say there's a neighborhood of three houses, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio state. I want to get into Oklahoma and, you know, kind of compare them to, like you said, Kirby Smart and Georgia here in a little bit. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State are in the same neighborhood, on the same block. Who has the biggest house in the neighborhood? Who has the biggest house? The nicest house, the biggest house, who has the best piece of land. See, this is where I'm going really, to get really dictionary jerk on you. Like, if you're telling me who's got the biggest house, I think it's Alabama. But I think Alabama's house is like foundational issues like there's some yeah like they they don't uh they had to take out like a second mortgage because they overreached on the first mortgage and now like they've got the biggest house but also they've got some stuff they got to work on versus clemson it was like 
huge money down, low interest rate. Like they're they're making extra payments and they're sitting they're sitting pretty good right now. Is Ohio State not in that conversation? Or are they above Alabama? I know that you're consistently lower on Alabama than most people over the last couple of years, and it seems like moving forward, you're a little bit lower on them. Is Ohio State above Alabama for you, or is it clearly Clemson, Alabama, and then Ohio State has the, the really nice house down the block? I think you still have to put Alabama over Ohio State just because of what they've done the last... You have to give Saban a certain amount of credit, and you have to give the program a certain amount of, of confidence. Now, I have no problem putting Clemson over them right now because Clemson has the resume. Even if they don't exceed them in gross national championships or gross wins or whatever, I think the trajectory plus what they've done, that's that's a pretty easy argument to make. Ohio State, you know, you got to go back a few years now to get to the last national championship. They haven't done it under Ryan Day, who's obviously not been there that long. But still, there is, uh, in your words, sort of a prove-it factor uh, but I still think Ohio State lives in this neighborhood because of what they what they do and how they do it and the recruits they bring in and how many people they put in the league. So I, I think it's a, a cumulative effect of what they do that they, they're clearly in this neighborhood and they live on this year-to-year level. Why did Oklahoma get the bump into neighborhood one for you and Georgia did not? I think it's the year-in, year-out kind of thing that Oklahoma does, that they're consistently for many years now, a top five program. And Georgia, really, they had a couple good years. And they've they've more been, I think, a top 15 team the last five years than they've been a top five team. Obviously, they've been a top five team. But it's not a consistent year-in-year-out thing. And so for me, I think that consistency that Oklahoma brings is sort of what earns them that last spot for me in the Tier 1 neighborhood. I didn't know how far we were going to get in down uh, down into this year. I would put Oklahoma in tier in tier two or neighborhood two, uh, but since you have them above Georgia, is Georgia alone in their own neighborhood, or would you have Florida there? Would you have Penn State there? Would you have LSU there? Oregon there? Maybe who would you have alongside them as their peer in neighborhood two? Well, I think one way to answer that question is to, to describe what my number two neighborhood looks like. Uh, and what it is, is you're the major players in college football. You probably don't have a national championship, or if you do, it was kind of a one-off, and you haven't necessarily proven that you can live comfortably, sustainably at that level. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about the second neighborhood. Uh, and that's where I have Georgia, that's where I have Oregon, that's where I have LSU, that's where I have Notre Dame. That's that's sort of where I have uh, the Tier 2 programs and what my definition for that neighborhood is. It's still pretty small, but it's bigger than Neighborhood 1, which is just like the cream of the crop. What What's your 2 look like, do you think? Well, really quickly, as we were talking about... Um... The, I pulled up my, my personal rankings. I haven't finalized them yet for this season. And do you think if we did this year after year, if we just said, let's look ahead at the next decade every single year, how often would it be? I mean, we just put Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and you have Oklahoma all in the first neighborhood. I think those are the top four teams in college football this year, and they're the top top neighborhood going forward for the next 10 years. And then I have, excuse me, I have a uh, Georgia four, I apologize, but Oklahoma's at five. I think they're very interchangeable. But then even moving after that, you have Georgia and you have Florida and you have LSU. It seems like all of these teams 
the long-term outlook is very, very similar to the short-term outlook. Do you think that would be common every single year? I think that's common probably every single year or more often than not at the top. I think as soon as you start to go a little bit down the list, you're going to have wider and wider variance between short-term and long-term outlooks. That's an interesting way of looking at it. It also seems like if we like a team this year, why wouldn't we like them five years down the road? We can look at a team and say, well, this is kind of your your run. You have all these seniors or whatever. Next year might be rebuilding. But I think if you like a team enough going into this year, you're probably going to like that team long term, aren't you? Yeah. Like I said, at the top for sure. A couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, you and I talked about how we, I mean, relative to expectations, relative to who they are as a program here, but we kind of like Indiana this year. Like mm-hmm. we think they're going to have a pretty decent year for Indiana. Five years from now, I have no idea what Indiana is going to look like. I certainly wouldn't be telling you like, yeah, buy five-year futures for Indiana football, right? Because you have to go down the list here to find Indiana, and you're going to have wider and wider variants. I think that's kind of what I'm what I'm talking about. Going back to your, neighbor, or your question on neighborhood two, so I would not have Oklahoma again. I would have them in neighborhood two. I would. This one's a little bit bigger for me. So I have three teams in the first neighborhood: Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. I would put Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, LSU, and Oregon all in neighborhood two. I was shocked you put Notre Dame in there, especially after I think it was last week's comments when we were predicting the teams that would be the most overrated in the preseason AP Top 25, and you said Notre Dame for you right now. Again, we're still two-plus months out from the season. Right now, Notre Dame is not a Top 25 team for you. So I'm surprised you did that. I wouldn't even have Notre Dame anywhere near my my first or second neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, when you look at them, it's consistently like good recruiting classes. They have a Pretty good head coach that we both like. I would say Brian Kelly is, is what do you think, like a top 20 head coach in college football? Oh, I'll top 10 all day. Yeah, so he's he's really good. Uh, you know, good recruits. You've got a schedule every year that if you're good is going to give you a path to the playoff. Not just because it's a brand and people hype brands really quickly. If you're, you know, if you're Minnesota, it takes a lot longer to get that playoff momentum. If you're Notre Dame, it happens really fast. If you're Texas, it happens really fast. So not just the brand power that they bring, but the the way they have their schedule, which is obviously really unique. They have all of these different ways to get into the playoff. Last eight years, they've got a BCS appearance. They've got a playoff appearance. So I think when you look at their uh, momentum, when you look at what they've done for us lately, no national championships, I don't even know how good they're going to be this year, but if you look at where the program is, I think you can't put them in neighborhood three. I I think they have too heavy a resume for that. So I don't know that they're one of my top neighborhood two programs, but I think you, the way I've structured my stuff, I think you have to put them in two. If you have more neighborhoods than me, if you want to go have 12 neighborhoods, I could see why you wouldn't put them in two. My biggest problem with Notre Dame, unlike the other teams, in my second neighborhood, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Oregon, especially those top four. Oregon I might be a little bit different here, especially those top four. I could see all four of them winning a national championship this decade. With Notre Dame going to the playoff and looking like they were in a completely different league, and I get that those top couple of teams in college football every year are in such a different league, so we don't want to put too much weight. Like 
These Oklahoma teams that have gone in there and gotten smashed, last year's Oklahoma team I didn't like that much, but the two other ones that went in there and got smashed, those were some really, really good Oklahoma teams. I just don't think that Notre Dame is capable of winning a national championship with the type of teams that they've been fielding, and I don't know if Notre Dame is going to get better teams than they had two years ago, than they had versus Alabama, what was it, eight years ago. I think that's kind of their ceiling, and it's not a bad place to be. I mean, a bad place to be. I mean, you're going to be at 10, 11, sometimes 12 wins most seasons. That's fun college football. I get all that, but I have a hard time saying that Notre Dame is capable of winning a national championship, whereas I think Oklahoma is, Georgia is, Florida is. I've gone on the record. I think that Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen will both win a national championship at Georgia and Florida. I don't think Brian Kelly would win a national championship. I would be shocked if you won a national championship at Notre Dame. I don't think that that is there for Notre Dame at all. And that's why I have those teams in that neighborhood because they're all capable. I mean, do you really think that Notre Dame is capable of winning a national championship or that's just not how you structured your neighborhood? I would say that, A, it's not it's not totally how I've structured it. I think it it, it kind of is, but I wouldn't say that's the central point. And, and I, I don't think they're, this is maybe a better way for me to put it, I don't think Notre Dame is incapable of winning a national championship. I think that they need to field their best team under Brian Kelly in order to do it. Uh, because I don't think you could field, you know, a team equivalent to what they had a couple years ago and then that they could go win in the playoff. Like, I don't think that's possible. But who's to say that they can't put together their best team yet? I mean, I, they have the recruiting, they have the facilities, they have, I mean, they have all the things that you need to do it. So I, I don't, I'm not willing to say they're incapable of it. Who was in that second neighborhood for you again? Uh, I agree on LSU. I agree on Oregon. I agree on Florida. I agree on Georgia. Uh, I'm I'm doing this this part off the top, so I'm kind of just thinking out loud. I wonder if I would put Auburn in there. I don't think so, but I would have to think about it. Same for Wisconsin, where it's like they're they're consistently top-level relevant, I think is how I've sort of built this second neighborhood. They're... They're consistently in the mix for conference championship games. They're late in the season in the mix for playoff spots. Maybe they get into the playoff, maybe they don't, but they're in that conversation. And even that, which seems like a lower bar than maybe what you have on, I think these guys can win a national championship, even that's still a pretty high bar because there's not a ton of teams that are consistently in the mix late in the season for conference championships or for playoff spots. Which team that is very clearly not in this neighborhood, not even like a Wisconsin like you were talking about, not even an Auburn, which team that is very clearly not in there? This is going off of a question that you asked me uh, for our 100th episode when we were asking random questions, and you said, what random college football team do you just want to see better for no reason? You said Central Michigan. I went with a P5 in Oregon State. Go Chippewas. What team do you want to see in this tier where – you can watch them during a season or throughout this decade, and they have a shot at at least making the playoff and maybe winning a national championship. Which team is that for you? Maybe, maybe somebody. Well, we are. I, I think originally I wanted to say somebody out west, but Oregon is out west. But maybe somebody in like the Southwest, California, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, Texas, like somewhere in that area. Somebody, I need somebody to be good consistently. USC used to be that, and they they just haven't been that in fifteen years. So, how badly do you want a G five in this in this neighborhood, or is that so unrealistic that we don't even need to talk about it? I don't know that I badly want one, and I don't. 
I don't, I'm not sure it's unrealistic. It, may, it might be unrealistic. I think I just don't. I just don't care that much. Do you think college football is better, or maybe it's not? Do you think college football is better with a G5 if it were in this neighborhood? If we had a G5 every single th- every single season that was threatening to go 13 and 0 against a decent schedule, they had an outside chance of the playoff. Do you think that makes college football better? Uh, better? I don't know. I think it makes it more interesting for sure uh, because it's another thing that that people can debate about, and that's. You know, there are some things that only get debated because talk show people need things to debate. But that, I think, is genuinely something. When UCF was like 13-0 and and wins the Peach Bowl, there were ground-level fans at bars daily arguing about whether or not UCF was good enough to be in the playoff. Like, so, is it is it more interesting? Does it create more conversation Absolutely. And if that's the metric on does it make college football better, then yeah, I think it makes college football better. I don't know that the like the pure value, football value, integrity of the game, whatever you want to call it, I don't know that that is served by having you know a 13-0 UCF team, but I also don't know how many people care about that. Like I wonder if it's just like wannabe commissioners of the sport and people that are unnecessarily intellectual about the sport uh, that care about that. I think it'd be fun to have Utah in this neighborhood sure. or Louisville in this neighborhood, North Carolina in this neighborhood. The ACC is especially an interesting one because we all are so thirsty for just not even necessarily to win the ACC. We just want to see somebody go into the ACC championship game, whether it's in Clemson's division or not, just somebody that can go 11-1 and one and we know that this is a really good team and we want to see them actually challenge Clemson's ACC championship game instead of just getting run over. I would take anybody in the ACC, whatever division. I think that would be a ton of fun. It does. It does feel like Clemson sucked up all the oxygen in the room the last few years. Yeah. I mean, how many people nationally care about the ACC right now? It's just a foregone conclusion every single season, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because there are a lot of interesting storylines this year. Like, what is Louisville going to do in Satterfield's second year? Can they find a defense? Does Virginia Tech finally have an offense? Is Sam Howell going to? live up to the hype in North Carolina. So that's why it's kind of sad where the ACC is because of how far Clemson has gone up that we're missing a lot of things below in the ACC that don't matter in the national picture. Do you think it's a coincidence that Clemson got very good at football as Virginia Tech tailed off? I, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that question. I don't know. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'd love to see Virginia Tech be better. Sure. That'd be great. All right. I don't know exactly how we're going to break this down over the next few weeks. We're going to get into more neighborhoods, figure that out. Um, you know, send us your tweets. Like we said, if you have idea for ideas for neighborhoods or which teams you put in neighborhoods, tweet at us at High Motor Pod, at Chase A Kitty, at A Dowdy eighty eight. Tweet us your neighborhoods. Tweet us your thoughts. Tweet us uh, your PG movie recommendations or PG thirteen. Is Dark Knight PG or PG thirteen? The Dark Knight is PG thirteen. It's not that good of a movie. I, you texted me this this weekend, and I was just flabbergasted by this take. I get that you're not comic book guy, but The Dark Knight is, I mean, it's on another level. Have an, if you have an average Joker character, that's not a good movie. And I know that's not fair, but that's just the reality of it. Too You, much you do not have the stats on your side for this argument. I do. You don't. Do. Roger Ebert blew his load over this movie, all right? And, like, he historically did not enjoy 
superhero movies. I think he liked The Dark Knight and Spider-Man 2. I think that was it. All right. You good? No, I'm very upset. Thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast. We'll be back over the next few weeks to do more of these neighborhoods. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met. How you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in